Hey everyone, welcome to Expansion Cast. Expansion Cast is a magical podcast I created so people could find simple or unconventional solutions to expand their personal awareness and experience. This podcast is dedicated towards revealing people's divine truth and how that divine truth works its way out into the world, one by one, helping liberate each of us on our personal path to freedom. If you love this podcast, please give us a rating and share. Today on Expansion Cast, I am welcoming Margot McKinnon. Margot is the owner of Spark the Spirit Productions, and she has a different approach to the mind, body, spirit. And uh, Margot's here today to talk a little bit about that and maybe some of her offerings. Welcome, Margot. Hi, Roger. So Expansion Cast is about uh, how we have offerings to help other people expand their life and their experience of life so that uh, hopefully in the end we can liberate ourselves on our personal path to freedom. So we had a bit of a chat and you were like, yeah, that's what I do. That's everything I do, Roger. That's my whole life's purpose. Well, let's, let's dive into the, your life's purpose. Like, How did that come about? What happened there? Uh, I would probably start right from the beginning, being a small child, a preschool child, who could see spirits, have visions into the future, uh, hear voices talking to me. Uh, and over time, I really listened to those voices more than I'd ever listened to like a person. But I had to learn how to navigate my way through that this is a person and this is a spirit. This is my mind talking. This is a spirit talking or this is the universe talking to me. I had to learn how to navigate that. Now, I had really supportive parents because it's part of our family on my mom's side to be able to have this ability. And so my mom was very encouraging and supportive in my life growing up. And as I became older, I thought, why was I given this and how am I supposed to use it? So how can how, how did you know the difference between spirit and just like a mind that's going wild? For me, they have different sounds. Mm-hmm. So if somebody, one of my clients books an appointment with me and they say to me, Marco, can you go into the other dimension and get a message for me? What am I supposed to be doing with the rest of my life is the typical question. Mm-hmm. I hear one that has a very high voice that sounds like this. Oh, well, that person needs to do. And it sounds like this. Mm-hmm. And when it's another one, uh, that, and they typically they come out of the blue, a much deeper one. And my first experience with that was when I was four years old, tucking in my little doll, Michael, into his crib. And I heard a voice that said, you are to be a teacher. And it just came out of the darkness. My mind says things like, you better pack your backpack for school tomorrow. (laughs) And I know the difference because of the sounds of them. And usually if they come out of the blue for me. Yeah, so is it content also? What do you mean? Well, the content of the voice, like the, uh, I guess the reasoning or the, the, 
what it's trying to push or yes then if i ask over time i've learned now how to ask it questions mm -hmm. then i get the answers and quite often as i'm listening to this very deep voice i know it's not my mind because i couldn't think of those things myself mm -hmm. and i find myself going really i didn't know that that's really cool oh i get it now so what else what else is happening with these voices um, do these voices ever pertain to people around you or people outside your specific circumstance i hear things like if i see somebody i remember seeing a woman putting all these stones in front of her house uh in her garden and i heard she better not put those stones like that or somebody in her house will die how do you approach somebody with information like that? I thought, I can't go up to her and tell her that. But she was putting the stones in a tombstone-like shape in her front garden. And this voice came in. And I, and I didn't do anything, Roger, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And she died of hepatitis about six weeks later. Mm -hmm. uh, I had another one where a woman wanted, she was writing a book on... Um, indigenous grandmothers up north and i heard she better not write that book or she'll die of a woman disease and in that case after the first time with the woman with her rocks i said to this second woman um are you sure you have permission to write that book did they grant you permission do they know you're writing this book these are really important things with indigenous grandmothers and she said, no, it's fine. I'm up there all the time. And I said, I wouldn't write that book unless I had full permission. And she had ovarian cancer by June, a woman disease. Mm. So they speak to me in a way that doesn't always make sense. Like, she'll die of a woman disease. Okay. So these voices will come in and comment on people that I'm looking at or seeing and some people I've managed to convince not to do what they're planning on doing, but a lot of people, it doesn't make sense to them, so they carry on. Yeah, so you're, I mean, you're quite an educated woman. Yes. What's behind your name? Uh, I have, I started off with my BA Honours, English Lit, from Queen's University. Mm -hmm. Then I got my education degree from Queen's University. I have a Master's from the University of Calgary. And I have a doctorate from the University of Oxford. So, yeah, so when the information's coming, it's, um, you should be able to understand pretty much anything. What do you mean? Well, I'm just, like, if, it, if we're talking about how words are coming through, like, if it was your, your wording and maybe from your own mind, maybe the, I mean, it wouldn't be, it's a woman's disease, it might be very specifically from your mind saying it's ovarian, it'll be ovarian cancer. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just diving here. Well, I, 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 this is when you asked, how do I know it's my mind or the spirits? So mm -hmm. my mind, I don't even know if my mind would have been able to figure out that she shouldn't write that book mm -hmm. or that you don't put your rocks in front of your house in a tombstone-like shape or other things. Uh, the, the spirits really want to protect us. And so they will send down messages so that we'll avoid certain things. 
And if everybody had the ability to listen to them, you could really navigate your way on your own life map and avoid this and that in your life. For me, because I, when I was earlier on in my life, when I wasn't really sure whether that was my mind or the spirits talking, I would make mistakes because I would, some, a person would come along and say, well, that's ridiculous. And, get, and if I ever got convinced over not to listen to that voice, that was always where I made the mistakes. Mm-hmm. Now I just don't listen to anybody. I only listen to the spirits telling me what I'm supposed to do. Right. So you, um, your book, Body, Mind, Spirit, Soul, Oneness, Dominance, can we talk about that a little bit? What, uh, what really, how that came about really maybe quickly and then... Um, Let's dive in. I would like to dive into the soul oneness dominance. I was taking a course at University of Calgary for my master's degree. And I was doing a master's degree in teacher professional learning. It had nothing to do really of spirituality or anything. But I took one class that was for myself called Philosophy of Mind. And our first homework assignment was how are the body, mind, spirit related. And I went home. And I have a system like to really call in the deep voice that one that tells me you are to be a teacher. Uh, So I cleared my space, I lit a candle, I use a yellow pad, that legal pad of yellow paper. I sat on my couch and I said, so what's the answer? How are the body, mind, spirit related? And that deep voice came in so urgently and it was bubbling with excitement that I was going to listen and write this all down. And it started off by saying, We have oneness. So it started with oneness. It went to soul. We have a spirit. We have a mind and we have a body. In writing my book, I did it backwards. And so I said, we have a body, a mind, a spirit, soul, and oneness. Why did I do that? Because many, many people can't start with oneness because it's too abstract of a concept. It's too big. So to start with body, we can understand it better. So I'm going to start with body. We have a body, which is our tangible. We have a mind, which is our logical, rational self. That's my mind dimension, as we were talking about earlier. It does my taxes. It does my finances. It made my grocery list for my dinner party that I'm having tonight. All of those things. Your spirit is the part of you that came from unconditional love on the other side and came into your body to have a human experience. So it's you, it's your intangible you, it looks just like, only it's your ghost, basically. Your soul is your purpose. And originally I thought spirit and soul were the same thing, but this voice said, no, 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 they're two different parts of yourself, spirit, and soul is your purpose. Oneness is your sense. It's your God aspect, God creator, universe, higher self. It's it's that plus connection and belonging. So they're multidimensional concepts, all five of them. Then it said you're born dominant in one of those dimensions and you grow the other ones or not over time. Some people have no interest in growing their spirit dimension. They don't believe in it. They're not. Whereas other people like me are obsessed with learning more about my spirit, my soul, and my oneness. 
That's because of your dominance. Because of my dominance. Mm -hmm. So I would say I'm a spirit-dominant person, which means I value, I, I still feel tethered to the unconditional love from the other side. I value unconditional love and connection and belonging that more than I value material things, more than being beautiful, more than having a big house, more than, yes, I have a PhD, but I value unconditional love more than degrees, more than professional success. I value unconditional love. And as a as a spirit dominant, my spirit looks out at a world that seems unnecessarily harsh and cruel. And before I came, before the universe told me this model, I used to have this profound sense of sadness about having to be human. I used to think, how long do I have to stay here? I used to think this as a little kid. How long do I have to do this all day? Breathe, move, eat. So you were feeling separate. I felt like I was a spirit lugging around this huge body. Mm. And you've seen me, I'm nearly 5 foot 11. I was given a big body to lug around. Mm -hmm. uh, so I felt a profound meaninglessness about having to be here. Even though I was told by four years old that I was to be a teacher. So that's my sole purpose is to be a teacher. I took that at the time to mean to be a high school teacher, and that's what I became, a high school English teacher. Now I'm a teacher, but in a different way. I'm teaching all about this model. So as a spirit dominant, I would have these periodic times of, I just want to go home now, back to the other side. Life here is very different. And part of my sole purpose now is to get to as many people who feel like that so, so that they find their exquisiteness here and the joy of being human. Mm -hmm. So do you believe that a lot of people who are addicted to drugs and hard use of chemicals might be spirit-type yeah. people? Yes. It's a way of numbing out their human experience. For spirit-dominant people, being a human being is much harder than it is for a body dominant or a mind dominant. It's as though body dominance and mind dominance were given a roadmap to life that they weren't given. Mm -hmm. And as little kids, they'll be, how come that kid can kick the ball or get baskets in basketball? How can they do that? I can hardly dribble. And any of your listeners who are parents, they know there are some kids that can crack a baseball out of the park and don't even need t-ball, and you'll have another child standing at a t-ball and too afraid to hit the ball. Mm -hmm. We're so different. So seeing all those differences, I still want to come back to uh, soul and oneness experience, but having all these differences, do you see a different type of personality that might go to, say, a church that is maybe um, Christian and they're like all about following the teachings of Jesus? Would those people be mostly body dominant or mind dominant? Or It depends. I mean, some people like the community of God. Mm -hmm. They like the friends and they love the routine. But 
some religions are mind, some people take religion on in a mind dominant way and they want the rules and the regulations. And as long as they follow those rules and regulations, they feel secure. If I sing this hymn, if I take my, you know, the bread on my tongue, I drink the wine, then all is good. Religion didn't really work for me because it didn't explain to me who this voice was. <laughs> in some cases, I didn't see some of the people there as having unconditional love and being very kind people. So some people take it on as a mind dominant. So let's go to, let's talk about oneness. What's it like to be a human being experiencing a dominant oneness? This one's a challenge for me because I'm not oneness dominant. And when the, I, this is my, actually my second book that you were looking at. My, in my first book, I don't have very much on oneness. The universe said there is oneness. We are all connected with all time, place, people. And at the time I was working through my spirit dominance and getting a handle on that. And as a spirit dominant, I tended to, as a high school teacher, I would go in and teach, but I became saturated by the human experience every day because spirit dominants are quite porous people and they empathetic and they can just become saturated. So I would retreat and I like spending a lot of time alone. Oneness people really like to build up connection and belonging with people. Mm-hmm. And for me, at the time, with my first book and the first vision, I, was, I wasn't really working on my oneness. I was working through the stressed outside of being spirit dominant, mm-hmm. this being porous and getting saturated and exhausted. And I was trying to find a way of loving my life so that I didn't have those feelings of wanting to go home. Once I had that, then I went over to my soul dimension And I quit teaching high school, and I started doing my model full-time, running workshops and speaking all over the place, all over the country. Now, Then I started working on oneness. How do I increase my own oneness in my own life as a skill set? I used to not like having to go into a room full of strangers. Once I decided to... build up my oneness, I thought, well, I'm going to walk into that room and figure out how many friends I'm going to make today. And then I learned how to connect with everybody. I'm going to learn how to deliver a talk for 20 minutes on on a stage. As a spirit dominant, I was more of a ghost than I was a human being. As a spirit dominant, like, okay, so imagine uh, you're looking at a little baby. When the spirit came into that little baby that's body dominant, they say, oh, man, they love it. Like their food, they can eat their food really easily. They uh, love to be hugged and cuddled. They love sports and dressing and clothes. And as they grow older, hair, makeup, nails, fashion, shopping, Christmas presents, cards, a mind dominant, the spirit comes in and they think, Oh, I can organize this place. I can create a system. I know the logic and rational of, rationale of how to get everybody into their places. And they have a sense of this is the right way of doing things and this is the wrong way. This is the system that works and everybody should follow this system. 
And as a high school teacher, I thought schools are mind dominant institutions and mind dominant kids get to go excel in that institution because mm -hmm. it's designed for the way they see the world. You go over to spirit dominant, the spirit comes in and it takes that child a lot longer to learn how to become human. So for them, food tastes terrible, their clothes are itchy, owie, they get rashes, they're colicky babies, and they're really wrestling with having to carry around a body that actually hurts. It hurts them. Not mm -hmm. a body dominant. They like having a body. Mm -hmm. Spirit dominants have a hard time being in their body. A soul dominant, they, they know early on in their life what their purpose is. And they will stay on that track. And they don't want to have to do anything in their life that's not on that purpose. And then a oneness dominant, which is still a little, I'm trying to understand it myself because it came from the universe and I keep trying to explore it further. A oneness dominant, they love to see everybody as a community and we're all connected. And I coach a woman who's a oneness dominant woman and she can't understand that her sister-in-law doesn't want to come to their family gatherings. Can't understand that. Why would you not want to be included? Everybody's included. And I always have to say to her, you're oneness dominant, she's not. Mm -hmm. She has her own way that she wants to live her life. Not everybody wants to be included. Someday she might get to a point in her life where she wants to increase her oneness to me. Yeah, so when we dive deeper into oneness, those people typically, if I'm getting it right, would feel... Um, a connection to everybody and everything. Yes. Yeah. They can feel, when I'm at teacher's convention, for example, I had a woman say, well, Marco, don't you get terribly exhausted and upset and sick about what's happening with children in a certain location? Um, so don't you get so worried about that and sick about it? And I, and I say, no, I don't get sick about it because the people that sole purpose is to look at is to help them will go and do that. My sole purpose is to help spirit dominance become at home in their lives here as human beings and to help anybody else, body dominance or mind dominance, understand more about their spirit dimension, their soul dimension and oneness. And as long as I'm on purpose and I exhaust myself with my purpose, I'm okay with that. I, other people who have their sole purposes can do theirs. Yeah, it sounds very nice. So can we be one of each? So there's no real dominance, it's just a real balance between them all? That's an ideal. I'm trying to get to that point where I can't tell anymore. I know, I don't know if I'd ever want to be body dominant. It's a lot of work. I tried it once for a morning. <laughs> a whole morning? <laughs> If you go to a body dominance house and their house is immaculate and beautiful and the pillows are fluffed and if you see their roof, the, the pillows are beautiful, lots of pillows on the bed and everything's folded down and ironed. So I thought, well, I'm going to be body dominant for more for as long as I can for a whole day and see how long I last. 
Uh, I was ironing pillowcases. I ironed that little fold-down part of my sheets. I ironed all my linen napkins for my table. I went for a run. I did some weights. I was really scrubbing my house. And about by about one in the afternoon when I found myself trying to paint my toenails, I thought, this is so much work. I don't have time for this. And now I just, if I'm up and I have my hair combed and my lipstick on and a nice outfit on, I'm fine. And that's not to say anything about body dominance. I choose to only, on the spectrum of how body I want to be, I'm sort of about a three out of five. In my book, I have a nice self-inventory where you actually, because every dimension, like body dimension, is multidimensional concept. And you can, in my book, you have, there's a self-inventory. So you can go down and say, so where are you on the spectrum, zero to five? And you can rate yourself and then say, well, I actually want to improve in this area. For example, I love to drive a really nice, clean car. Mm-hmm. If ever I pick anybody up, people always get into my car and say, how do you keep your car this clean? Because I like on the body dimension of life, I like a nice clean car. I don't need iron pillowcases. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you can just decide, like, where do you want to be on the body dimension? The mind dimension. I've decided I don't want to work in a mind-dominant institution where there's a logic and a system. Mm-hmm. I prefer to just live my own life with my own system and how so- I want to live my life. Yeah, you just want to flow with yeah. with how, whatever's coming forward for you. Yes, I want to say, oh, you want me down on Lethbridge tonight to speak? Okay, I'll get in my car and drive to Lethbridge. I drive all the way across Canada to talk to people. I spend about two or three months in the summer months so I can be driving to go and do my sole purpose and my and live the life my spirit came here to live. Right. My book, you can rate, you can give yourself an evaluation. And see how how body do you want to be? How mind do you want to be? I have my PhD from Oxford. That's pretty mindy. But do I want to spend all day in a mind? No, I don't. I'd rather spend most of my time in my spirit dimension, soul dimension of my life. So do you look at people now and automatically uh, size them up? Uh, Yes. But that, you have to be careful with that, too, because I've had some of my readers saying to me, I know I look body dominant, but that's because I had a body dominant mother. We weren't allowed out of the house unless our hair was perfect, our nails were perfect, our sheets were perfect. And if I did that, she'd be off my case. And I've kept that as a grown woman. And while I might look like a body dominant, I'm actually not. So we have to look beyond social conditioning. Yes, And I get a lot of lawyers reading my book, and they will say, I'm mind dominant, but I, once I, and I thought, but I'm mind dominant, but I'm also high soul purpose. I went into law because I really want to help people and and explain the law to them so that they can be protected. But once I got into the industry, it wasn't what I expected. It was too mind dominant for me, and some are moving over and and taking on different careers. And some politicians, they go in there because they really want to serve their country. 
and it becomes like this nasty mind game of who's whose system is going to be best and what you're going to compromise and sell out about yourself in order to go with the system and vote this way and vote that way. So what part of it allows us to, I guess, liberate ourselves from struggle? How, how do we, what part of it allows us to move into this personal freedom that I think most people are looking for? That's such a good question. What I'm finding for myself personally and also that my readers, because the first book that I put out was 2006. So I have some readers that have been with me for a long time and they're elevating their life. What I'm finding is they continuously look back at their five dimensions. And I love when this happens, Roger. When they say to me, I looked at the self-inventory and I used to be a two on that category. And I've raised myself to a five. Let's have an example. I used to be, because in my book I have what each uh, personality profile looks like when they're stressed. And they'll say, I'm usually, I used to retreat from the world when I was a stressed out spirit dominant. I would let all my bills pile up. My house would be filled with clutter. My car was filled with clutter because I wanted to escape from the world. And I set that as a goal. And now I can look around my house and it's clutter-free. I don't want to go home anymore. I've moved over to my soul purpose. And I'm really living my soul purpose. And I've elevated my oneness. So I have a lot of friends and, and a lot of support in my life. I really feel like I belong here as a human being. And that's what I love when people say, I used to be like that, and now I've elevated. Some of my readers are saying, I've elevated, and now I want to elevate it again. So you know how your uh, series of all your accomplishments and achievements right now, so everything that you've been through has brought you to this point. But there's a grander version of you standing in the ether and another grander version, another grander version. So this model really helps you saying, okay, well, I want to step into my grander version of myself. And you can go back through your self-inventory and say, okay, these are the areas I want to develop in myself. I'm going to spend the next 365 days working on these things. Nice. Yeah, I love it. And I particularly love it when people say, I'm finally in love with my life. That's powerful. No, I know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, do you want to go into some doing some samples? Actually, I got a couple of different questions. I I want to throw at you something maybe a little bit uh, different. How do you relate it? Let me back up. So, a lot of the work I do is in the tantric field. So, body work, different things, and I find there's different uh, types of people who respond differently to body work. Uh, some are hands-off energy work, some are hands-on, you know, some are experienced sensual levels of energy differently than somebody else does. Have you had any uh, thoughts about how the different um, dominance theories move into our life, like our bedroom and places like that? I have. I had a near-death, I've had two near-death experiences. Have you had one? 
Um, it depends on how close we call it. I was in a really, really bad car accident. Mm-hmm. And I, whether I was unconscious for a while or whatever, but I was out for a bit. So. Okay. I don't know if we well, call that near I, death. Where I moved in to mo- the most beautiful, unconditional love, it was euphoric. And I had dropped to the ground, so my spirit had come out, and it was going up to the most beautiful, unconditional love. And I just, it was like a real peak experience. And when I came back into my body, that's how I realized that our spirit, part of ourself, remembers that unconditional love. And passing over to the the other side is the best orgasm you'll ever have. Mm -hmm. And our bodies are designed so that there are rememberings of what's over on the other side, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So to have an orgasm, it's a reminder of what's going to happen when you go to the other side. Right. So I've done regressive, I've been in regressive hypnosis sessions where I've been on the other side and experienced that unconditional love that you're talking about. I've been um, in tantric dance sessions where I've experienced the oneness, like this ultimate oneness of grace and blissfulness. So... Yeah, I do believe all that stuff is very accessible while we're here. It is. And they're all reminders of what's waiting. And the whole thing is, like, when I had my near-death experience and I really felt that unconditional love that was just used within my whole being, I came back and I, because remember, I always thought life was unnecessarily harsh and cruel. And when I came back, for a while I thought, by comparison, life really is harsh and cruel. Then I thought, well, isn't it my job to create a life all about unconditional love? (laughs) Isn't that my whole reason for being here? How do you do it? As a classroom teacher, I thought, all right, I would say to my students, this is a space where you will feel love. This is a space where you can be entirely yourself. If you have, if you want to say, if you have something you need to say, like disagreement, there's a way of doing it kindly. But this is a space where we all feel connected and we all feel like we belong and that we can really explore who we are as human beings. And it was a great space because I was the writing teacher and so it really helped them with their writing and claiming their authentic voice. Uh, And so I had wonderful classes of teenagers that said, this is the only space I know of where I can be entirely myself. And we can all just deliberately create a life around unconditional love. So the next part I'd like to dive into is, I don't know if you're willing to do this, but are you willing to do like a sample? Like um, if I said, do you know my purpose? Can we do like a live sample on the podcast? to see what comes through, or is this something that you're not into? Well, I was thinking about you yesterday, and I thought, you are doing your purpose. Yeah? Do you feel it? Um, not always, no. You don't feel like you're always living on your purpose? No, not mm-hmm. always, no. No, there's always questions. I always question myself, for sure. If you look, look at the pattern of your life and the golden thread that goes through your life, you'll see how they all connect. So for me, I, I was told what my purpose is. But other people, it's, um, you know, something that they've always had 
as running through their life, but they never really got to it. So they left it out on the periphery. And then it's time to claim that purpose. But if you look at you and and helping people dive deeper into themselves, that's a very big purpose. Mm-hmm. What more do you want? Big flashes. Big, <gasps> big, big voices booming from the other side saying, you are on the right path. <laughs> oh, oh, is that what you're looking for? Well, so, sometimes they just, some people's purposes are larger than others. True, right? They have more to do in their life, bigger, more, and they're given the kind of guts to go after it and do it. But not everybody has a huge, big purpose. But for you, what you're doing right now, you could turn that into bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And uh, one thing I have, I do notice the golden thread. So I do follow that. Yeah. What's your golden thread? Well, it's just the link between, I feel it's more, I, we can describe it as synchronicity. And just following all the little um, subtleties in life that uh, pull me from one place to another through maybe, you know, I do lots of surrendering. So, And surrendering takes me to experience things that, so surrendering takes me to experience uh, new and different uh, parts of life that I probably would have denied. Well, there you go. Then you're doing it the kind of, I do it a very similar way. So, for example, but I hear voices, but for example, when I came back from England, my PhD, getting my PhD was really hard because they couldn't understand the idea that I was looking at spirituality and not religion. And uh, they had a hard time accepting that people could have an individual way of exploring their spiritual being. It sounded all woo-woo to them. But anyway, when I came back to finish writing, I thought, I don't even know if I'm ever going to pass this. Because even though it's true for our society, in their culture, it was difficult for them to accept. So I was sitting here at my dining room table, and I said, okay, universe, you're going to have to show me that you want me to finish this PhD, if you show me in the next 15 minutes, I give a time limit. If you show me in the next 15 minutes that I'm to finish this thesis, I'll finish it. If not, I'll cut my losses and keep going with my book. And I said, I'm going for a walk. So I went for a little walk around my neighborhood, came back, opened up my computer, and there was an email from a woman in Lebanon saying, I saw about your thesis online. I'm wondering if you've finished yet because I need your data to help me with my thesis on spirituality in Lebanon. That's awesome. 15 minutes. That's how I get support on my purpose. I ask for it. Another time I was feeling, have you ever felt sorry for yourself? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> just going, oh, come on. Well, anyway, I was having just an okay where I was feeling sorry for myself. Like, life was too hard and all this. Mm-hmm. I'm pushing a boulder up a hill. So I went for my run, 
where I tended to get a lot of my insights. So when I want to get insights for my clients and that, I go for a run in the spirits. We love to talk to me. So anyway, I'm out there on my run. And I said, I'm feeling really sorry for myself. And I usually only take like 24 hours to feel sorry for myself. But today I only have 40 minutes because I'm busy. And um, I said, why do I have to be, you know, doing all this stuff? And the answer was very simple. I said, what am I supposed to do? And it said, continue being Margo. I said, with all my eccentricities, hearing voices, seeing things, yes, continue being Margo. So I came home, opened my computer, and uh, there was an email message from a Margo that had done some graphic design work for me to this other Margo that I didn't know. And I was linked in. So here I come home and there's a Margo to Margo to Margo email. So I wrote the back and I said, okay, listen, I shouldn't be on this email chain right now uh, because uh, I don't, I'm not involved in this conversation. And I said, but if ever you want to have a being Margo evening, I'm up for that. <laughs> so here I am running along the river, feeling sorry for myself, continue being Margo. I come back, there's a Margo to Margo. And then we had a being Margo evening dinner. Mm -hmm. So the universe is sometimes funny about it. And sometimes we'll just bring it in exactly. But I ask, I put it in a very short time period. And then I watch for what shows up. So what do you what do you tell people who generally maybe you know have spent so much time avoiding being their own um, or diving into their own purpose or being their, their selves? What do you how do you bring them back? If they're really pining for their purpose, you mean? Yeah. Well, if they you know they're so far off that they can't even begin to see what their purpose is. But yes, they're they're dying to know. Uh. Well, I. I'll go in for them, like, on my own. I go into a nice, quiet place and go in and find out what it is. Uh, uh, so I have different methods. So uh, sometimes I can go in and the voices will come straight in and tell me. Um, other times I'll give them their life history chart. So it starts from womb memory all the way around. And, um, and then we'll find the golden thread and say, well, here's your purpose but you've never fully lived it. And I'll give you some examples. So in the first case, when the voice came in, I was actually pumping gas, leaving Aurelia, Ontario, and a woman said, oh, can I have an appointment with you? I heard your readings are really good, because I've been doing them all morning. And I said, okay. And then a voice came in and said, she needs to start an art community. And, she, and it had a whole plan, all designed out what she was supposed to do. So I wrote it out on my yellow pad of paper, after I pumped the gas into my car and drove back to give her her talk. And I have the piece of paper by my feet. And then she's telling me a whole story that had nothing to do with art and questions that had nothing to do with art. And I'm thinking, oh, gee, I, maybe I got this all wrong, right? She was telling me about a relationship she was in that wasn't very good and her job and all of this. And I, so I pulled out my piece of paper and I said, well, why did the spirits tell me you needed to be, to do an art community? And she said, oh my goodness, it's because I told myself if I broke up with this very toxic person, I'd get all my art supplies back, reclaim my space, and put up my easel and get back to my artwork. 
oh, okay, because I don't know this woman other than she was at a talk of mine. And then I said, well, why did they tell me that you needed to do be, uh, beaded jewelry with um, silver in it? Oh, because I bought a beading board last week, and I really want to get back to my beading. So in that case, the voice will come in and tell me what it is that she's avoiding. Um, in the second case, I gave a life history chart, and it goes from like your womb memory and then your first day at school, and then around your whole schooling experience, formal schooling, and then when you finish school and around to your adult life and then senior years. So for her, I said, fill this in and bring it to your meeting. And I sent it, emailed it to her. And then I went for my run and uh, the voices said, well, she needs to remember her kindergarten self. And then when she, so I put that on a yellow pad of paper and then she arrived and um, I said, so how'd you do on your life history chart? And she said, well, I stopped at kindergarten and I never went any further. So we explored what she loved about kindergarten, all those things. And then I brought out my yellow piece of paper and I said, well, the spirit said you need to remember your kindergarten self. Go back to that, what you loved about it, and go back and bring that into your life now. Mm. So there are ways you can find it, find out what it is. I mean, your passions, you can find out that way. Mm -hmm. Do you find that most people's purpose has nothing to do with financial abundance? For soul-dominant people, where they're driven for their purpose, finance, finances doesn't matter. Right. You'll see them on Dragon's Den, right, where they show up with their big invention that's going to save the world. And, uh, you know, they're saying, well, I don't care if this helps one person, I'm happy. But the dragons, who are mind-dominant, want to know the numbers, the finances, one person's not good enough. So, yeah, soul-dominant people can have a really hard life because they are so committed to their purpose and they often feel like they're not living up to it fully and they're not doing enough and they feel like time's running out on them to fulfill this purpose. Mm -hmm. I feel like that in many ways, too. Mm -hmm. So I'm partnering now with a young woman. She's about 30. A young woman so that, uh, you know, if anything ever happens to me, um, she can carry on doing this stuff. She's got her own, but uh, also, but we're going to partner just to, and I can mentor her into it. Nice. So what was the hardest part about accepting your purpose? Um, I look around, I live right by 17th Ave, which is the hot district of restaurants and bars and all of this and sometimes I look over there and I think it must be nice to go and have a lot of fun all the time you know like going out and having a really fun time and that's not to say I don't have a fun time but there was a time where I only did my purpose that's all I ever did because I had such a huge purpose to fulfill and um yeah, so sometimes I think I'd like to just relax and just goof around. Mm -hmm. But what was the what was the hardest part about accepting your gifts, like actually diving into your purpose? Uh, I don't think I really had struggled with that. Mm -hmm. So I, I I struggled with why I heard voices, why it came that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what the were those? Itself. 
is my roadmap to my life. But the idea that it came from voices. So imagine me going to a jo teaching job interview. So why did you become a teacher? What just made you decide to become a teacher? Well, a voice told me when I was four years old to become a guy. I wouldn't get the job. <laughs> I'd have to say, I've always known I wanted to be a teacher. And then also being able to see, like I remember yesterday, like I was telling you about how, um, you know, don't put those rocks like that or somebody in your house is going to die. Just knowing that kind of thing is hard. Mm -hmm. Seeing these things. It also, uh, I find it difficult when I can see that the person isn't being genuine with themselves, like we were talking about, if they're not entirely themselves. It's difficult for me to watch somebody going around and around in kind of when they could just easily pull themselves out of going around and around and move forward. Mm -hmm. It's hard for me to watch if they don't want to accept really who they are and their potential greatness. Mm -hmm. I think that that's happening a lot though, isn't it? Yes. It's difficult for me to watch. Yeah. It's And I only help people if they ask me. So if they don't ask me, it's like the universe doesn't help you if you don't ask. Mm -hmm. Because that's nosy. It's, it's like um, uh, just walking inside somebody's house. We don't do that. You knock on the door. Mm -hmm. You wait to be invited. And mm -hmm. the universe is the same way. So when I said, give me a sign in 15 minutes. Okay. Help me get out of my little funk here of, of feeling sorry for myself. Okay. But it doesn't just come in and um, intercept. Like one time I said to my friend, you know, I haven't asked for magic in a long time. Bring me something magical. And I said, let's do that. I was having her over for dinner. It was about 11 at night. I said, let's do it. I said, let's call in some magic by morning. When we wake up in the morning, something magical will have happened. I woke up in the morning, and the spirits are speaking through email now, Roger. They're using technology. So I woke up in the morning, and there was an email from the caretaker of the place I used to live in in Oxford. And I had left two books on the shelf in Oxford. And it was called The Mansion, where I lived. It was a 1600s old stone manse. And um, he said, I just... I, I, heard this voice in my head that said, you need to go and look at the books that are on the bookshelf. And then I went over and I saw your book and then I pulled it off the shelf and I found out you lived in room number two. I looked it up on my records. I found out who you were, found out your email. And he said, I started reading your book this morning and I'm loving it. And he said, and I'm a New Zealand former uh, Navy officer. He said, who'd think I'd be sitting here reading all about spirituality? He mm -hmm. said, but I heard that voice and it told me to go and get this book. And I did that at 11 in, at night. He would have been there at about 7 in the morning and hearing. So the magic happened instantaneously to direct him over to my book. You have to ask. Yeah, so what do you say to people who are afraid to ask, who are afraid to dive into their weirdness, their strangeness, you know, the aspects of them that, that, you know, might be that 
golden thread trying to express itself. And that they did, may, might be denying it because of society norms or society thoughts. Well, the one, people that come to me want to know. Yeah. So I don't really, people don't come to me if they don't want to know. Mm. I had students in my class, now imagine 35 teenagers sitting there. And some of their marks were ranging from like, like kids who had 40% to kids who had 90%. Um, but I taught them how to have a vision for their writing. And I, so they would get their, their question. And they'd say, now I want you to close your eyes. You have the question, the exam question sitting there. Maybe the exam question is, how does fear work in uh, uh, developing resilience or something? All right. Now I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to picture fear. And I want you to feel it. I want you to picture resilience and feel it. And see a movie in your head. That movie will tell you how to start your essay. Man, they're writing. Those kids who are getting 40, and they said, is this what writing is? Yes. It's about visioning how this works, letting these concepts seep in and, and have a vision about it. And it was funny because teachers used to say, well, whenever we did exam supervision, you could always tell whose students were whose because some kids were road mapping in a very mind-dominant, if they had a mind-dominant teacher, road mapping it all out. Other teachers had them creating a chart, another mind dummy. All your kids were looking at their exam paper and then closing their eyes, tilting their face up to the light. And then you could see them having, like, what are they doing? And I said, well, they're having a vision. And their writing was beautiful. Mm -hmm. So they learned how. And the kids who were more spirit, soul, oneness driven, they really took it on and explored it. Further, mind-dominant kids, they might say, you know what, this is great, but I want to do engineering. It depends. Like, not everybody wants to. I was giving a writing. I was teaching my model to a writing group. There must have been about 50 people there. And one man said, you know, we don't all have to have a sole purpose that guides us. And I said, no, we don't. We all have one. We all have a sole dimension of self, but... It just means you're not soul-dominant. Soul-dominant people have to explore that. Mm -hmm. They have to explore their purpose. And then, you know, but body-dominant people say, um, you know, my uh, son's girlfriend is very body-dominant. Um, but that can turn into her purpose because she's really good at hair, makeup, nails, fashion. In fact, she's taking me on Wednesday to get to help me with makeover because she's really good at it, and I'm not so good at it. Nice, nice. Yeah. So are there any other types of struggles that people have on their path to finding their purpose? Well, you know what? 2020 is coming. We get a whole new decade. If, the, if you sat down today, Roger, and listed you take yourself back 10 years ago and say, look at how much I've accomplished in 10 years. You know, including writing down all the people you loved in the last 10 years. Places that you went, things you did, new skills you learned, and you made a whole list. You'd see how dynamic your life has been. And then start projecting forward. And that's why I like my book so much, because you have your five dimensions. And you say, okay, I want to 
project forward, what do I want to do in my next 10 years? So at the end of the day, I have a story to tell. And I want my life to be a very full story to tell. So when my dad wrote his autobiography at 90 years old, and we just got our copies a couple weeks ago, his life is a story to tell. It could be a movie. But he went after his purpose, and he's a mind-dominant primarily, and then he's very soul-driven because he said to me, whatever you do, Marco, make sure you build a career about helping your community and your country. Don't have it just all about money. And I really took that to heart ever since I was a little girl. And he did that too. And he keeps going after it. He's going into his next 10 years thinking, what else do I want to elevate about myself? What do I want to elevate about myself physically, body-wise? As we grow older, how do we want to make sure that we're healthy and we're high nutrition and we look good and we feel youthful? As we get older, what do you want to, what kind of courses do you want to take in your mind? Like, what, do you, what else new skill? What do you want to learn? Now, you're way better at technology than I am. So, well, I think that needs to be a skill set of mine. <laughs> Moving forward, saying, okay, Margo, enough resistance there. You need to go and learn how to do all of these things. Okay. I accept the invitation from the universe to learn whatever it is I need to learn on my path. For instance, um, like doing the podcast, so I had to learn the software. Well, I need to learn how to do it. That's a new skill elevation for me. And I situate that over in the mind dimension. And also, I'm starting a whole new um, uh, uh, workshop event thing, which is called Red Flags in Dating. Mm -hmm. and, I, I saw uh, that. What is so that about? Yeah, I'm starting that in 2020 with the young woman I was talking about. Her name is Roz. She's from South Africa. And um, we're going to start that because kind people, often very spirit people, kind people tend to get in these toxic relationships because they're so kind and they believe in unconditional love. So we want to run workshops everywhere we possibly can. So I need to, that's my vision for myself. It's my purpose. And now I have to go into the mind dimension, the logical, rational self, and say, okay, how are you going to make this happen? And build a plan, get a strategy, get a system going to get that up and out there to the world. And then I think, okay, my spirit, what else? My spirit wants my condo to be much, to get all the renovations done. It needs a really pretty space to live in. And I have a really pretty space, but it's not finished. So you just ask all your five dimensions. What do you want? And primarily your spirit. What is the life you're, you want to live, spirit? My job is to make it happen. Yeah, so what you're saying is that although I'm a oneness, dominant that I should still look after the other four. Oh, yeah. Because mm -hmm. that's already where you're strong. You want to, your purpose is to elevate the other ones. Because they're all equally important. And on the front cover of my book, I have it like a pie chart mm -hmm. of the five dimensions. And I have it as a pie chart instead of uh, like a pyramid.
where, say, your sole purpose or oneness is at the top. I, I like it as a pie chart because they're all equally important. Your body is as important as your oneness and your sole purpose. So sometimes when I'm talking about body-dominant people, because I am so uh, weak in that area, you know, like sometimes people say, I think you're too hard on body dominance. I said, I'm not hard up. I, I love body dominant people and I need to learn from them because I don't have that skill set. Mm -hmm. So I think, I'm pretty sure I'm oneness dominant mm -hmm. because I really believe that we're all divine beings and all part of the same uh, ecosystem basically or spirit system, whatever you want to call it. It's all kind of, we're all linked together. And I feel like a lot of my purpose is about um, bringing that, um, the obviousness of that forward. You know, for, for me, what's obvious might not be obvious for other people. And I feel like bringing that forward might be part of my purpose. For instance, I'm not a giant fan of Christian religion. However, um, part of uh, surrendering has took me to a church a couple days ago. And as I sat there in the church, I was like, oh, feeling like squirmy and whatnot. And then I was like, wait a minute. If I really believe that we're all, you know, divine beings, what, you know, why, what is this part of me that's judging right now? Because mm -hmm. I don't have to accept, you know, their belief system, but I can accept that they are doing exactly what they need to be doing right now in this moment. When I thought high school, I, I had some... Kids who are from various religious traditions. And for a year I said, anybody who wants to invite me with your family to church, temple, wherever I'm allowed to go, I'd love to go. And so I was all over the place going with different families from my school community to different uh, traditions. And it was quite fascinating. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, and I, I was, I worked for a publisher one time, and I said, he said, what would you, what would your most ultimate uh, publication be? And I said, I said, I'd really love to start a publication that brings all the aspects of all religions into the same publication. So that, you know, my one interview, you know, one week, the whole publication would be on one subject and seeing all the different viewpoints from all these religions on one subject. And he goes, that'll never work. <laughs> I was like, I was just thinking though, Roger, for you, what if you spent a year going like I did to all these different places and writing up your experiences, your lived experience, and then putting some research, you know, about what that tradition is, not too long, and you turned it into a book? Does that doesn't. Um doesn't appeal to me too much. I think what really appeals to me is hearing the voice, hearing the, the truth behind, I guess, hearing the experience of that person, of that um, minister, pastor, priest, you know, that person that's following a faith, hearing their real-time experience versus my interpretation of it. I love that idea. I read that. If you went, if you visited all different traditions and and chatted with them and wrote it up 
Mm-hmm. That'd be fascinating. Well, maybe it's going to be a little bit futuristic in the sense that it's going to be audio <laughs> and not print. <laughs> we can make it audio. I, I think that's really interesting. Yeah, print is nice, but print takes a while. I mean, it's nice to be able to be in a car and going from A to B, Lethbridge to Calgary or something, and listen to a few podcasts. And by the time you get to Calgary, all of a sudden you've listened to something that sparks so or ignites something mm-hmm. that's perfect for your uh, talk or presentation. Mm-hmm. I know. I, I should get mine into audio, but I don't want to sit there reading it. <laughs> I tried it. I get to about page two, and then I, I can't go on. Mm-hmm. Make it an audio book. <laughs> I'm sure but that... I should do some pod. Just some uh, short podcasts on it or something. New technology, Roger. I'm going to have to figure out how to do it. You're doing the podcast right now. Yes. Well, I need to learn how to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're doing new it. New skill. New 2020 skill. <laughs> so, Margo, do you have anything coming up that people or listeners might be interested in? I do. Uh January 12th, I'm going to, be, going to be in Red Deer at the uh, Red Deer Spirit Center for Spiritual Living. And I'm doing their talk in the morning, which is a Sunday. Uh, I'll do a talk in the morning, and then I'm doing a workshop, follow-up workshop, and we're looking at soul's purpose. And I'm going to show them the different strategies of finding your soul purpose and building a plan toward it in the year coming up. Then in the evening, I'll be back in Calgary speaking at Calgary First Spiritualist Church, and I'll talk about the same thing. I'm not running a workshop because theirs is an evening service starting at 7.30. I'll be in Lethbridge on February 19th, and I'm running a workshop there for two hours in the evening. That's the Wednesday evening. And we're going to go through the model. People are going to do their self-inventory so they can see on the spectrum how much of each of their five dimensions they've explored. They're going to see what their stress behaviors are because our stress behaviors can limit us from really diving deep into our purpose. And then on the 20th, for anybody who's a teacher who listens to your podcast, I'll be doing two sessions at at Lethbridge Teachers Convention on in the morning of the 20th. And one session is uh, the loneliness epidemic because the people right now are lonelier than ever and their oneness dimension is really shrinking and atrophying. So I'm doing a session for teachers on how can you help kids build connection and belonging. And I'm doing a second uh, session on avoiding burnout and okay. that's what's coming up there I'll be at other teachers conventions I'll be at the Calgary one I'll be at the medicine hat one as well doing those sessions mm-hmm. so that's what's coming up so far I also have my retreat that's on June the 6th it's a Saturday it's a full day retreat and it's at the crossing retreat center in Cochrane, Alberta and there what we're going to do is We start the day down by the river and we call in oneness because remember I said you have to ask for the universe to come in. So this is basically a day where you make a date with your spirit and a date with the universe to help you find your purpose and your your pathway in life. So we go down to the river, we call in 
do a oneness ceremony, then we go back up to where we're having our session. And I show you all these spirit exercises that get your spirit really vibrating at a very high level. We have a gorgeous lunch, high vibration lunch. Then you go find your spot somewhere on the 145 acres to do these exercises with the universe in collaboration with the universe. And you cry for your provision about what you what the universe wants you to do. It's amazing the results. People have uh, their spirit guide shows up and sits beside them and shows them and gives them a whole plan all the way through their life, what they're supposed to do. Other people will have, uh, like one woman, one time her son had actually completed suicide and he came and they developed a new relationship afterward. Uh, we've had uh, people who have had the voice come in and show them what they're supposed to do. So it's really quite a powerful, powerful day, and that's June 6th. And in between there, I have, I'll be in Vernon, B.C., or probably be in Vancouver at some time this spring. So is there a place where people can find this schedule? Yes, they can. They can go on to my website, which is www.drmarvelmckinnon.com. So that's D-R-M-A-R-G-O-T-M-C-K-I-N-N-O-N.com. And they can email me, and I love to hear from them. If they want to order a copy of my book, they can email me, and I'll pop one email for them. And they can email me at drmorgomckinnon at gmail.com. And a lot of people are putting, uh, designing uh, book clubs around my book. So they're deciding that in 2020, they really want to elevate. They don't want to waste any more time not knowing what to do. I've got so many exercises in my book for people to do. And they want to go through it. There's a lovely conversation guide at the end of each chapter. It's great. So they're gonna, they read it together. So they do the whole body part, do the conversation guide, do all the exercises meet up again, do the next section, the next section, till they're finished. And it's really working to elevate them into a whole new level. And as I was saying before, my favorite thing is when a, when a reader said, I used to have those stress behaviors, and now I don't. Because mm. the stress behaviors of my dominance profile were preventing me from really living out my spirit's passion and my soul's purpose. That's my favorite thing. Nice, nice. Dr. Margot McKinnon, it has been a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you, and you? I know I haven't been feeling too well today. I'm feeling a bit sweaty. Something's coming on, and I'm glad that you're not in my studio today. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you. And, uh, yeah, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Well, it's great to get to know you too, Roger. This podcast is ExpansionCast. Thank you for listening.